Hey everybody and welcome back to The Extras. My name is Sam. And I'm Andrew. And it's good to be with you again today for The Extras. Uh, Andrew, we had a great time Sunday with you in Romans chapter 8. Uh, yeah, thinking through yeah this this glorious part of, of the scriptures. Mm. Um, do you want to just, before we get it, we've got heaps of questions to tackle today. Uh, do you want to try and just give us a quick recap of, of wh- what this part of God's Word is all about? Sort of set the scene for us and then we can get into the details. Yep. Yep, so uh, Romans 8, Paul's been uh, expressing the wonders of our salvation, the wonders of the certainty of our salvation, yep. the fact that we are now children of God, um, and he, he's been amping this up. And this section, um, so verse 18 to 30 of Romans 8, is the section where he, he, he introduces the but suffering bit. Yes. So we're children of God... But sometimes I don't really feel like a child of God because my life goes badly wrong at points yeah. and the suffering in the world and how, what do we make of that? And so this is where he, he, he really dives in and talks about mm. uh, the reality of our salvation, the reality of the future that is stored up for us, the reality of the present though for the children of God. The children of God in this world will suffer. Mm. And he introduces the, the, the concept of suffering. Here his focus, I think, is mostly on the suffering that, that is in the world that every human goes through and Christians are not immune from. Yes. And um, in the next passage, um, the, the focus shifts a little bit, um, amongst other things, to talk about the suffering that comes from being a Christian. Yeah. But, but here it's, it, we live in a world that is fallen, that's broken. How do we make sense of that? Well, mm. a big part of making sense of that mm. is trusting that God can work through all the things of this life, the good and the bad, and that he, he works in all things for the good of those who love him. Yeah. Um, so verse um, 28 of, of Romans 8, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And uh, God has a purpose to save us. God has a purpose to see us in the new creation, mm. and he'll work through all the circumstances of this life to bring that about which we can dig into now, and I think we will. There's some yeah, questions on that. But, absolutely. Um, but, but suffering in, 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 while we wait for the glory to come, yeah. how, what life is going to be like now is, is really the, uh, the focus of, of this chunk, isn't it? But, but the, big, the big message of, of Romans 8 here is, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing yeah. with the glory that will be revealed. So yeah. there's, a, there's a reality in our suffering now, but there's, a, there's an eschatological direction that, that this passage points us in. God, through Paul, is, is saying in the sufferings of this life, a very important aspect of it is focusing on eternity. For sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive in. A couple of questions here. Um, some, some of these we, we, we'll do quickly because we, we did touch on them on Sunday night for some, yep. but we'll, we'll just recap for others who, who weren't at, uh, at, there on Sunday night. Um, so uh, let's go in quickly into verse 20. Uh, it talks about God being the one who, who subjects uh, creation to frustration. And uh, someone's questioned, is the world broken because of our sin or because of the curse that God has placed on it, uh, or both? Yeah, I mean, both. Um, in that, uh, humanity sinned yep. and, and we, we fell. Yes. And God introduced the curse. And now as we live in this world, we're subject to the curse, but we're also subject to ourselves and each other in our sinfulness. Mm. And so my sin 
Um, you know, we work together on church staff. My sin directly causes you pain. Yeah. I'm sure there's been occasions where that's happened. <laughs> right back into it, no doubt. <laughs> and yeah. but, but equally, um, you know, uh, to use that analogy again, yeah. as we work on our church staff, we are subjected to the, 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 the curse in the sense that I get sick. Yep. I'm meant to do something really important. I get the flu. Yeah. Or well, things um, break and don't things work. Things break as they don't should. work very often, especially in the tech area. It's never happened <laughs> ever. But um, so so there's a sense that that both operate together and they're sort of in and out of each other yeah. as well. And yep. it's definitely both. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Uh, let, let's keep keep it on moving through the text here. Uh, down in verses 23 to 25, it talks about the, this waiting that you were speaking about earlier, waiting eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our body. Now, someone's noted that earlier in Romans, um, Paul's already called us sons, uh, uh, like adopted children brought into the family of God. And here it seems to position that as a as a future thing that we're now that we're waiting for. So, which is it, Paul? You know, mm. is that something we've already got the sonship, or is that something that we're waiting for in the future? Yeah. And yeah, how does that work? This is a great question, and it it is a tension that the Bible um, expresses in, in in quite a few places. The the idea of, um, I mean, the classic formulation is the now and not yet. Yes. Um, so parts of the Bible talk about me having been saved. Parts of the Bible talk about me being saved. Parts of the Bible talk about me, I will be saved on the yeah. last day when Jesus returns. And, and, and all are true. Yes. Um, and and it, is, it is part of the very substance of this passage we're talking about. Um, I am a child of God in Christ um, now. Yes. And yet, that's absolutely true. And yet I don't have the full sense of it, as we were just saying. I still suffer. I'm a child of God. Why does my car break down? Yes. Um, I'm a child of God. Why aren't I super rich? Um, and, and I think there are some theologies out there where people say, actually, yes, you're a child of God. You should be rich. Yeah. And, and I, that's not what the Bible is saying. Yeah. The Bible is saying, I don't have... Uh, all of the um, the reality, all of the benefits, all of the, um, the the inheritance that I will have. It's interesting. I mean, one Peter one talks about our, our inheritance being kept in heaven uh, for those who are being now protected by God. Yep. But but there's a secure, secure in eternity. Yeah. In eternity, all of the blessings and the richness and the yep. wealth and the goodness that I'll have in in the kingdom of God in in the new creation. But there's a sense in which I, I have access to some of that now uh, by faith uh, yeah. in anticipation of what is to come but not not the wholeness not the fullness of it yeah um, yeah but this and, and I think maybe what, what needs to happen here is we need to be willing to accept complexity in, and, and go with the Bible's complexity rather than looking for a sort of simple neatness yeah uh, is, is that right yeah yeah I think I think that's right and and I think um, yeah it, it certainly points to um, and I think we're going to touch on these issues as we, as we go along with some of these questions because it's, it's part of the, 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 the considering yeah. this stuff. But there's a reality about the complexity of this. There's a reality about yeah. the wonder, the wonderfulness of the eternity that's laid up for us, the wonderfulness of the new creation yeah. that is simply beyond our ability to apprehend, yes. beyond our ability really to understand. Yeah. And. All of these questions, I think, will touch on that tension to some degree because yes. that's the tension that that he's actually drawing on. That's why he's. That's why at this point in the in the argument of Romans, yes, he raises the issue of suffering because mm. it's the obvious answer to this great statement. We're now 
God's children. We, you know, we, we cry, verse um, 15, Abba, uh, Father. Yeah. God's my own Father, yep. and yet I suffer. Mm. Why is that? Yeah, and and I, cause, because I'm waiting for my... I, I am a son. I'm waiting for my sonship. Yeah. In the same way, you could say in, in Romans 3... Uh, the wrath of God has been satisfied, and yet 1 Thessalonians 1, I'm waiting for Jesus who will rescue me from the coming wrath. There, mm. there's, uh, there's this now and not yet yep. formulation yep. going right through. through and, that, I mean, that, that, and that's because um, the kingdom of God has crashed into this world. Mm. And so we're living in the two at mm. the same time. Mm. And, that's, and that will be the case until we die or Jesus comes back, yeah. whichever comes first. Yeah, and then at that point, the present age will end and, and the 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 age of 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 christ's rule will continue and be yeah. the only well actually our our day-to-day experience will catch up and be part of that yeah. rather than our day-to-day experience being the the present evil age and um that's when the the, the full reality of the new creations there where we we mm. see the creation renewed we see our bodies renewed and mm. we know um one Corinthians fifteen I mentioned in the sermon is is talks about our new bodies being so wonderful yeah. that we we can't even really comprehend them and and, and by analogy the, the new creation our adoption as sonship will be so wonderful mm. there's a there's a sense in which our brains right now can't even comprehend them I yeah. think I, I think I, I I use the analogy in my head often when you look at the Old Testament looking towards Jesus um, if you just read the Old Testament the fullness of what happened in Jesus was just way it was a way over fulfillment of those promises yep and I think by analogy that's what eternity is like it's a, mm. it's an over fulfillment of our understanding of what it will be which is why we're cautioned not to speculate too much because mm. I don't think our brains now can comprehend just how fantastic mm. that will be yeah I mean that's interesting not, not really a question on our on our list here today but it's worth digging into that uh, a little bit perhaps in terms of I think sometimes we don't know how to think about the future mm. as Christians and we, we struggle because we, we sort of we, we get the sense uh, that, that this world is not as it should be and we should be having our focus on the kingdom of God and what is to come and yet we don't really know what categories to, to think about that I mean do you have any mm. wisdom in terms of ha- how to think about what is to come and, and how, to, how to let that shape the way we, we do our lives in, in this age yeah, I think, um, I mean, even in, in, in considering the, the issue we're considering in this passage that we're talking mm. about, um, there is, a, there is a, an appropriate negativity that we pick up in these passages that's right to catch hold of. It's right to expect that we will suffer in this world. It's mm. right to expect that things won't work out yep. um, the way we hope. But there's, I suppose, on the flip side, given, I mean, what, what's eternity like? At one level, we don't know, yeah, and our brains can't comprehend it, yeah. But we do know that there's a big aspect of party. Yeah. There's a big aspect of celebration and rejoicing, and and so I think um, sometimes there's a danger for us in this world that we become too dour, okay. too too negative, too focused on the negative and in a time like this that's the shape of our minds it a little feels bit pretty in, negative yeah. in the world of in the world of covid yeah and i think there's a there's an element of joy that the scriptures point us to mm. to do with this new creation mm. and 
even as the energy for our groaning comes from understanding the future and seeing how short this world falls from it, yeah. I think we, we, we can drive it the other way too and say, well, the, the future is going to be so wonderful. We can celebrate. We can rejoice. We know that mm. all will be restored there. Yeah. And so probably what it means for the now yep. is, is we should celebrate with each other. Mm. We should rejoice in God. We should not not be backing away from having fun in life mm. um, because I think that's what our eternity will be to yeah. some degree. Yeah, I mean, so there's something of a paradox that we live in here, isn't there, where, where we groan with creation, recognising the frustration and the fact that we can't fully do in this world what, what, the, what we were meant to mm. do, frustrated by our own sin, frustrated by the, the, the brokenness of the world, and yet seeing in the creation... Uh, still some some good from God yeah. and also knowing where it's all going to 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 fulfillment and being fixed being being restored yeah. that there is a sense in which we can still take joy in, yeah. in, in life the, yeah. the classic formulation in Christian theology is the idea of um, the doctrine of providence the okay. idea that God works in the world to restrain sin mm. um, and so our world isn't as bad as it could be if God wasn't restraining sin. And so God has designed it so that this world still retains mm. joy. It still retains beauty. It still retains love. It still retains all of these things. And we should, as we see these things, celebrate and enjoy them. Yeah, um, yeah. And not, not run away from that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's interesting. That, that sort of brings us into the next question I, I want to get into here, which is about the, Ecclesia the Ecclesiastes passage that you... Well, you took us to two of them, actually. Yeah. Um, chapter 2, Chapter 7 on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, Ecclesiastes talks about this kind of stuff, doesn't it? Mm. In, in the nature of the frustration of the world and the, the, some of the meaningless the hopelessness that, that you experience in the world and yet comes to this conclusion that you should still enjoy life and sa find satisfaction under God, but... Yeah, so someone's uh, texted in and said, um, does the Ecclesiastes passage refer to have any modern day implications? Now, I'm not fully sure what, what they're angling at for that, but uh, let, let's run yeah. with it. And, and what do you think? Does, does it have any... Uh... Well, let me, uh, let me just quickly read the passages already. Yeah, do it. Um, so uh, in um, uh, Ecclesiastes 2, uh, it's talking about the person who thinks about accumulating wealth. Mm. And he says, who knows, um, I hated all the things, uh, this is a uh, 2.18, yep. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Mm. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over the fruit of my toil into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. Yeah. This too is meaningless. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure I can think of a more practical passage <laughs> than that. I wonder what, it, there, there's an absolute truth about the, the, the finite nature of human life, the yep. fact that in, in this world we will die, yep. that brings an absolute futility to our efforts and endeavours. Mm. And, and, and an aspect of that futility, it's not saying that's an absolute truth, that everything we do is completely and always futile, but the fact that I will die yes. means there's a futility in accumulating wealth and handing it on because it, it'll end up in the hands of my idiot great-nephew or whoever it is that ends up with any wealth that I have and he might spend it all on wine, women, and song. Mm. Um, that, that is the reality of human life. And so what this passage warns us about mm. is putting too much energy and effort into the things of this world because yeah. they are passing away. Yeah. 
And that there's a, there's a foolishness, an absolute foolishness in devoting yourself to the things of this world and as Ecclesiastes is saying, under the sun, which means yeah. ignoring God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he beautifully teases out all of this stuff. So Ecclesiastes, more than any other book, I think, maps the mind of the modern person living without God yeah. and systematically demolishes um, their thought uh, system and says, mm. this is insane. What are you? Why would you live for accumulating wealth when you're going to die? Yeah, and, and it's interesting that the, the vanity language of, of uh, Ecclesiastes, in, that's the old translation, or meaningless in, in the more recent ones. I think Paul picks that up in, in 1 mm. Corinthians 15 because he's been thinking about the, the resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15 and his big uh, kind of reflection at the end where he said, you know, where O death is your victory, where O death is your sting because of the resurrection. His sort of application in, in verse 58, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. There's, because there's something... it has eternal consequences. That's right, because has, yeah. once, once the death uh, problem has been dealt with through the resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden there, there, there is now this, this new work that, that mm. is not in vain, that won't go to waste because of your death. Mm. Actually, it's, it's serving God. Uh, yeah, so I feel like Paul's yeah. kind of got that Ecclesiastes and, and thing in mind, doesn't he? Absolutely, and there, there's, a, there's a reality there to, to think about, which mm. is that because of Christ, the work of the, the, work, that, uh, the work of the Lord that I do, mm. which I take it means... Um, that work of um, preaching the gospel, building the church, encouraging the brothers and sisters, all of those things mm. have eternal consequences in a way that other things do not. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the Bible doesn't back away from that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now that's the first Ecclesiastes passage. Yeah, well, I mean, the second one touches on it, um, yep. Ecclesiastes 7. Yeah. Better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Mm. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> take it to heart that you yeah. will die. Yeah. This life is finite. Yep. And um, I mean, this is the classic, you know, everybody. It's just so true that the younger you are, the less you can comprehend death. Mm. Um, I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in your 30s, I think, where you start to be able to comprehend your own death more clearly. Yeah. And um, so different age groups you know, work differently. And Ecclesiastes itself trades on that. So if you go to the end of Ecclesiastes, there's the message to the young man, yeah. which says, enjoy yourself in life, but you will die. Yeah. And it's kind of saying, you, you'll, you'll appreciate this a little bit more as you go on in life. Yeah. And, um, and so living with the knowledge of your own death yep. is very important. Mm. And it's something that Western individualists and our modern construction of Western civilization does exceptionally poorly. Yeah, we suppress death. Yeah, we suppress it. We hide it. It's a taboo subject, mm. um, and so people are left on their own mm. in agony. Actually, are thinking about their own death, working very hard themselves to suppress it. But at two o'clock in the morning, it comes to you. Mm. Uh, you you know you're going to die, and as I, I think I said in the sermon, you know, run away from that. The, the futility and, and the decay that are being spoken of in, in Romans 8, don't run away from those thoughts mm. because they are profoundly true and God has put that in your heart, that mm. you, you have a knowledge that you will die. Ecclesiastes helps us with the knowledge that this, this world is futile. Mm. Don't let that 
uh, uncomfortable thought go to waste. Mm. That uncomfortable thought is a thread you can pull on that leads you to um, greater wisdom in life. And it's, I guess there's a word there for both the, the person who's not yet a Christian and also a person who's already a Christian. So for the not non-Christian, I, I guess the thing is, your mortality is real and is, is mm. coming. Um, are you are you right with God at one level? Like mm. big picture, that that's yeah. uh, and it's you don't know when that's coming really. Yeah, do you? yeah. absolutely. You don't know when you're going to die. And, and yet, for the Christian, there's there's the other side of that, which is sure you, you've recognised that you've turned to Christ, but then there is a, a sense of the days you have left under the sun. Mm. How, how do you use them in a way? That, that recognises the, the, the impending end of your life at one level. Um, yeah, no, I think um, we, we, have, um, we have hope, we have purpose. I think the, the 1 Corinthians passage you read um, gives us that sense of purpose in, yeah. in life, in work. Yep. And um, I think, yeah, we, we, there's wisdom in understanding that you'll die, wisdom in understanding the futility of some of uh, the, the, the nature of what we do in this life. I, I remember a, a wise um, pastor once said in a sermon that I listened to that um, God will care a lot more about how you did your work than what work you did. Mm. Um, and I think there's, there's truth in that. Um, so the, the love you show your co-workers is probably more important than the bridge you build. Mm. Um, Although you show love to the people that will cross the bridge by doing a good job of designing the bridge. Indeed, that's a loving down. thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes. the love that you, you show yeah. in your work is actually so yeah. important. Yeah. Um, sometimes the, the nature of the work is, is less important. Which I guess bring, you're a pirate. bring you back to Romans 8 and the passage that we're in. You know, where this passage ends is, is with the purpose that God has called us to. Uh, which I take it in verse 29 is, is conformity to the image of his son. Uh, yep. that, that actually what God hopes and wills in us is, is Christ-like character being formed now with a view to it being perfected and, and, and finally finished in, in eternity. That's and right. So, so that's what God is doing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in the context of Romans 8, mm. that's what God, God is doing, including... The suffering that comes our way. Yeah. Okay. Well, let, let's dive in. Where I want to finish our, our conversation today, and it might be a, a long finish, but that's okay, is, is with a, a question here that uh, 20 uh, to 21 talks about it's God's will uh, that we suffer decay. Uh, and yet there seems to be this sense in which we are awaiting in hope, redemption and restoration. But if it is God who has actually kind of willed and caused and subjected the world to decay... How would someone answer the question, how can you love a God like that? That, that, uh, that seems to, well, they, they've said in the question, let's suffering happen. Um, yeah. Romans 28 seems even stronger than he's, he's let it happen, doesn't it? It feels like God has, has subjected the world. Yes. It's, it's not just a, okay, hands off, I think this is happening. It's yeah. God is doing something. Here. So yeah. how, do, how do you love a God like that? And I think the question's coming from a good place. I don't think they're saying, um, you know, I, I don't want to. I think they're saying, "How do I answer this question?" I, my friend might throw this question at yep. me. How do I respond? Yeah, it's it's a complex question, and 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 Christians have puzzled on it for two thousand years. But yes. there's there's a lot we can say. Yep. Um, I think at at a very where do you start? Probably the the wise place to start, as in a lot of things um, the wise place to start is the cross okay um, 
why the cross uh, at one level? What, 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 we follow the suffering servant. Mm-hmm. We, we follow the crucified Lord. Yep. Um, and so there's a sense in which th- there's, there's, that's fertile ground for, for thinking about suffering. Yep. Um, God has designed it that way. Uh, if we look at um, uh, Acts chapter 4. Yeah, okay. Um, look at Acts chapter 4. Um, where there's um, a discussion of the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is early on in the church. Yep. Um, when, when they're just sort of getting together after Jesus has ascended. Yep. And they're trying to work out what, what do we do now? The, the, yep. the spirit has come. Yep. And um, speaking of, of the circumstance around the... Um, uh, the crucifixion and speaking to, um, they're praying here, aren't they? They're, they're praying yeah, to God and reflecting on the events of the cross. Yeah, yeah, and they're trying to they're trying to make sense of it at one yeah, level. And, yeah. and and what Peter says is, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So they're praying to God. Mm-hmm. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Mm. Now, there's no um, sense there that uh, the crucifixion of Jesus was an accident or mm. God kind of lost control of events and somehow his son got crucified and he, he thought... What can I do with this? <laughs> oh, let's, let's, let's turn this situation around. <laughs> let's or, make this uh, something. That's yeah. not what it's saying. It's, no. saying. it's saying they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Yeah. Now, you think about the cross in, in, the, in the description in the Gospels. You've got evil Herod. Yep. You've got Pontius Pilate, the, yep. the, the weak uh, governor, of, uh, the weak Roman governor of Judea. You've got the Gentiles, the um, Jewish leaders. You've got the, the Jewish leaders. Yep. They conspire. Yeah. You know, there's no going back from the idea that these guys, these groups of people that are mentioned, yep. and it's virtually all, all the humans living in Jerusalem is yeah. indicted here. Yeah. Um, they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. So we, we don't want to back away from, from the implications of Romans 8, that these things come from the hands of God. Yeah. Although, Suffering comes from God. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and, and I guess to strengthen that, Acts 4 is helpful because it sort of shows you that in, in this particular action, There's there are purpose. two wills or two purposes coming in the one event. You've got the... The evil purpose of the conspirators, they conspired and did wicked things. Yep. And then you've got the purpose of God operating perfectly to plan. But his purpose is not wicked. His yep. purpose is good, glorifying yep. Jesus, uh, forgiving sin, showing love. And so God being God yeah. can work evil for good. Yeah. Now, at one level, that's a mystery to us. Mm. God's ways are higher than our ways, and we have to. The second thing I was going to come to is mm. there's a sense in which you cannot access the reality of that totally. Yes, and I can't work evil for good. Yeah, no. because I'm a I'm a sinful human being. I can yeah. just work evil. Yeah, but God somehow is able to, in His sovereign power, stand behind good and evil. Yes, in such a way as to bring good. Yeah. And I think I think there's a there's a, I think you you mentioned it before Don Carson's formulation of 
asymmetry of God standing behind good and evil. That's right. He stands behind them in a way. He stands behind them both, which I want to dig into in a minute. But yeah, he stands behind them in a, in, a, in an asymmetrical way. He, he stands behind good in such a way that whenever good happens, he is always rightly seen to be the one who who is the ultimate cause. And yet he stands behind evil in a, in a way that he's not out of control. And yet it's always such that those who perpetrate the evil are rightly held responsible mm. and, and scripture holds these two things up time yeah. and time again and in the old testament it's, it's everywhere you yeah, know god yeah. uses the nations around israel yeah. to judge them yeah and so evil kings yes. invade israel doing god's will yeah now i i want to challenge at this point partly on behalf of the person listening who might be thinking hang on a minute andrew that that kind of unsettles me a little bit. You're so, am I hearing you say that God somehow stands behind evil? Um, and I think a lot of Christians even would think, no, 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 God just stands behind the good. And then there's various formulations. Some people think, well, maybe the devil stands behind the evil or maybe that just accident stands behind the evil and God just kind of mops it up with his goodness. But to, say, to, to take that quite pro- provocative sense of yep. actually God stands behind this, is there somewhere in Scripture that we can sort of go to to see that sense like i'm thinking lamentations 3 has has something on this yeah yeah, yeah. Um, lamentations 3 has that has that passage talking about yeah just both sides i think it's good for us to see it in scripture so that we can go okay this is what the scripture says and i've got to wrestle with my perhaps preconceptions around god and who i think god might be so that i can yeah yeah um uh lamentations 3 from verse 37 yep who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that come both calamities, uh, that both calamities and good things come? Mm. So is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Yeah. So the Bible doesn't back away from the idea, a strong view of God's sovereignty. Yeah. Um, but it also doesn't back away from a strong view of God's goodness. Yeah. And one of the problems we have in this, I think, is um, our frailty, a little bit a cousin of what we were saying before about um, our ability to, of our minds to apprehend eternity. Mm. Um, our ability to put these two truths that the Bible is absolutely emphatic about, that God is good and God is all-powerful. The, logically, we say, well... How can an all-powerful God allow bad things to happen? And um, ultimately, we don't know the, all the details of that, so we have to both trust God yes. at his word. that yep. he, He's saying both of these things clearly. Yeah, yep. We have to trust God in his godness, that he is able to do it. Mm. We don't quite know how. Mm. But coming back to the cross again, we know that he does yeah. in the most profound and true way. Yeah. God works through evil to mm. bring about good. Yes. And God being God, there's, a, there's, a, there's, an, there's an end to which we can't go mm. um, to completely logically satisfy us. And I think it's connected with our creatureliness. Yeah. So, so there's, it's right to say scripture says these things uh, and yet I can't wholly comprehend them because I'm not God mm. I, I, and I need to acknowledge my limitations of, mm. of my understanding of all things and yet I want to uphold this is what the scripture says but also acknowledge a degree of of, of that this will at one it doesn't mean I shouldn't think about it but at one level this will remain some, something of a mystery to yep. me uh, even yep. though I can see what scripture says and wrestle with it yep. that's right yeah. that's right and 
I, I think we know this in our bones because when we come across great evil, yeah. we pray. Mm. When, when we come across somebody who's done something terrible mm. or somebody who's suffered a grievous thing, yeah. we pray. Yeah. And um, I think we innately know our Father is in control of all things. And so we pray to him and we know that he, as, as, as Romans 8 says, mm. God works in all things yeah. for the good of those who love him. And so maybe just to, to round this out, I mean, there's so much more we could say yeah, and so much is. more that I, that I would love us to say, just to talk, talk for hours on this. Um, I, I guess in answer to the question, we, we want to say, well, we, we know this reality that God is working for mm. good. Even, even as he subjects the world to frustration, he yeah. has a good purpose, which sometimes I guess you see in hindsight, you live long enough and you look back and you go, oh, yeah. I can see something yeah. of what God was doing there. But actually other times you, you may not see until... You may, you may not see, and that's connected to what the purpose is. So if you go yeah. back to Romans 8, yes. uh, Romans 8, the freight of Romans 8, 28 to 30, you know, that God works in all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Yep. Well, his purpose is that we be standing in eternity, mm. that we be there in the new creation. Yep. And because we don't understand all about what that is, we don't understand fully the job God is doing in connecting us to that. We don't understand what our pathway is there is in the sense that we know it's Christ, but yep. what path am I going to walk through life? Yeah. What is God going to do in my life to make me like Jesus, mm. fitted for eternity? God's going to do things in my life and I'm not going to understand what they are. I'm not going to be able to work out all the things yep. because it's connected to that eternal goal. And it may well be that the mechanism that he uses for you is is, is suffering, is, is frustration, uh, such that Christ is formed in you through that, I guess that sort of cauldron of, of difficulty. Yep. You know, as you, as you as you, it's not just God may do that. Yeah, this is saying God will, God do, that. will do that. God will use my suffering. Yeah, and and we all know different ones of us suffer more than others. Different yep. ones of us suffered in different ways. Although, mm. um, my wife was pointing me uh, this morning to a, a photograph um, of our wedding. Mm. And um, all the people in that picture, um, uh, all the people that were in that picture, was inside the church, have suffered terrible things in their lives. Yeah. And uh, there's you know you, the picture of friends in our young years, and, and as we look at it all, no one has gone through this life untouched uh, by, yeah. by by difficulty. Yep. And yet we know we trust that God is working in those things. Yeah, yeah. And in glory, we will look back and see the way in which God used those various things in their lives and in your life and my life uh, to, to make us like Christ for our good, such that we will be able to say, wow, look at what God, yeah. look at the good that God did, even through sometimes profoundly yeah. horrible, yeah. awful things. And the perspective, just to perhaps to close, verse 18 again. Yeah. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing mm. with the glory that will be revealed in us. That yeah. perspective is very important to yeah. hold on to. Yeah, bring on the glory. Mm. Mate, we'll leave it there. Thank you for your uh, work amongst us in Romans. It's been great to study the, study the scriptures with you. And um, one, one more to go this week, last bit of Romans 8. Mike's on it this weekend. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's a great passage. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see many of you online on Sunday, others here in person. Um, yeah. And uh, till, till next week. See you then.